to some degree, that's really part of our mission, is the preservation of thinking and therefore freedom in our country and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So a question our customer service agents frequently get is, are you having any sales coming up? And of course, you know what we say. No. Well, we say we don't have sales because we don't discount our products. Nor do any of our resellers. And that's just a decision that I made at the very beginning, which is I think helpful because then everybody knows, okay, I can buy it whenever I need it. There's no rush. I don't have to buy something I don't need. And I don't have to wait. If I need it now, I can buy it now. I always get the best deal. And I I watched at a conference one time two vendors who were selling the same thing. Mm -hmm. And on the first day, uh, one of them put up, you know, 10% discount on this line of products. And then later that day, the other one had put up the sign, 15% 15% discount on these products. Hmm. And then the next morning, the other one had put up the sign, 20% discount on this particular line of products. And I just thought, you know, they're killing themselves. And the customers who bought it at 10% now wonder, well, if I would have waited, can yeah. I return this now and get the 20% discount? Yeah, it, exactly. It's, so I just thought, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. So when we sign an agreement with a reseller, that's one of the policies. But we obviously love to help our customers. We do. And so when we get that question, we do let them know that that's our policy. But we also let them know that there are two times during the year that we have free shipping. One of them is during our 12 days of Christmas, Mm -hmm. which is December 26th through January 6th, which is the day after Christmas. and People love that. Yeah, we have so much fun doing our 12 days of Christmas. It's more than just free shipping. There's a free gift every day and more about that when we're talking about this in December. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but today we're talking about our second one, which is July 1st through the 10th, and that's our freedom shipping promotion. Ah. So we're just giving free shipping, not to every order. You actually have to use a coupon code. So you just go to our website, IEW.com, and there on that front page, you'll see a link to click to to get that free shipping code. That's good July 1st through the 10th, and that's good for free shipping on domestic Standard domestic order. So if you want it expedited, you still have to pay a little bit if you're shipping it to Singapore. So if you're homeschooling in Antarctica, you're still going to have to pay a little more. You are going to have to pay (laughs) a little more. I don't think we've ever actually shipped anything to Antarctica. But we have shipped to just – well, we've shipped to every other continent 
in the world other than Antarctica. We'll have to check our records there. I don't think we have. Is <laughs> yeah, there actually people homeschooling or I don't know. There's people Antarctica? there year round, but yes. whether they have kids and are homeschooling or not. Right. But we call this promotion freedom shipping. Why not just free ship? Well, because someone came up with this term <laughs> freedom ship that we wanted to kind of play off of. So, yeah, so it's it's like a equivocal meaning, although maybe it's more analogous. Well, it came from, of course, originally the idea of leadership, mm-hmm. leadership education. That's a real word, right? Leadership. Everybody knows that one. Leadership. What's the ship part, right? <laughs> I'm sure it's Latin for something. Go, Andrew. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'd have to go research that. But it's interesting to think about that because we talk about leadership education, leadership mm-hmm. training, leadership development. Ship has the idea of, of transportation, of moving, moving in the direction of being a leader. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would ever say, I have arrived, you know, I am right. now I am now the perfect leader. You know. Right. If they ever said that, then they wouldn't be so. <laughs> right. It always makes me feel, you know, part of the problem is, you know, particularly if you look at big political leaders mm-hmm. and you say, well, you know, someone who wants to be president is probably not the best person to do the job. Mm. And the best person to do the job probably doesn't want the job. Right, yeah. So there's there's always kind of a dichotomy. But uh, I started, as you know, long ago, reading a book by Oliver DeMille called A. Thomas Jefferson Education. It's not about Thomas Jefferson per se, but it's about the type of education that Thomas Jefferson and other great leaders in history have had. So DeMille, in that book, kind of researched and presented various commonalities in what he called a leadership education. Mm-hmm. You know, we could we could get into that in a little more detail, but it was very formative for me because he talked about the three tracks of education, the the conveyor belt, what he calls the Soviet conveyor belt method, where everyone does the same thing in the same way according to the same schedule so that you get the same predictable result. And that is predictable, controllable, obedient factory workers and voters and consumers who just do and buy and vote exactly the way they're told. And then you give them a couple false choices, you know, Pepsi or Coke, and they think (laughs) they have freedom. Then there's professional education he talks about in terms of this is different. The, The curriculum is different. The method is different. The curriculum of the conveyor belt is kind of the textbook and the methodologies everyone do the same thing in the same way. Whereas in professional education, the curriculum is case study. So if you look at people who get very good at something, whether it's medicine or horseshoeing or blacksmithing or law or anything in between, they get good by studying case and another case and another case and another case. And they keep studying. And in a way, competition is what drives it. Mm -hmm. So you look at some of the top schools or programs, you know, even in the military, you've got your elite groups and you have to work very hard to be at the top of the class, to be at the best in your profession, to rise up in rank, etc. And so that professional education is different and that's something a lot of people have experience with. 
What few of us have experience with is what he calls the leadership education, where the curriculum is the great books, and the the methodology is mentorship. And so he talks about the great books, the classics, being great books because they get you in direct contact with a great mind, as opposed to say a textbook, which gets you usually in contact with a committee, right? Uh, you know, but a great mind producing a great book. And so that has a transformative effect. The problem is not all great books are good.、Hmm. Some great books are mostly good, but not entirely. And some books are distinctly not good, but they're great books because they were produced by a not good great mind.、Okay. So that's where mentors <laughs> mm-hmm. come in, mm-hmm. and mentors. Are those people who help us learn how to think? And he talks a bit about how George Wythe, or Wythe—I've heard it pronounced both ways—as Thomas Jefferson's mentor helped him learn how to think better about all of these things he was studying. So, DeMille's model, I think, is very appealing because most of us want for our children something other than. The mediocre. We also kind of all instinctively know that we we have, I think, kind of a dearth of leadership、mm, uh, yes. today in our in our communities in our country at a you know local, state, national level. Occasionally, we see you know a great leader, and we say, "Wow, we need more people like that." You know, I was in Cincinnati、uh, earlier this year, and、uh, one. One thing comes to mind because Cincinnati, of course, is named after the great Roman consul Cincinnatus,、mm-hmm. who had retired from politics and gone back to farm, basically. And then Rome had a great crisis during the Punic Wars, and and they said, "Oh, Cincinnatus, would you come and and lead our armies and and lead our state and save us, and we'll give you dictatorial control." Will give you absolute power. You can do anything you need to do to save our to save our people. Right. Wow. And so Cincinnatus did. He he put back on his toga and he went back <laughs> and he took up arms and he became effective and directed and conquered and peace was restored. And he, of course, had the temptation. To retain those dictatorial powers, he could have probably remained dictator for life. Right. But instead, he said, "No, I resign. I will go back and be a humble farmer again,、mm. because that's what will preserve the republic."、Mm. And so, there's a statue、uh, of George Washington. I think it's. I can't remember where it is. Maryland is、oh. it might be in Cincinnati. I'm not sure, but you can see it, you can find it.、But、there's a statue of George Washington. It's clearly Washington, but he is dressed as the Roman consul Cincinnatus. Nice. And everyone who'd studied history would make the immediate connection. Perhaps he could have been king or、mm-hmm. president for life or dictator, but he said no. And so that type of leadership. That we look to both in ancient times and in our founding fathers, and you know, once upon a time, the idea of being a, you know, an elected representative was that it was a sacrifice you would have to make, right? To be to be a senator, 
to serve in the government was to mean you would lose your primary vocation for a while, make the sacrifice, oftentimes a sacrifice of income even, and serve the people for a limited time. Mm-hmm. I think the whole idea of of career politician mm. uh, would not have been appealing to those who crafted the Constitution. Right. Anyway, getting a little off topic, but that whole idea of leadership education, how how is Cincinnatus able to do what he did? Where did that fortitude and strength of character and vision and intelligence and discipline and sacrificial spirit, where did that come from, you know, his education? Where did Washington's come from? Where... Where did the great leaders through history get that? So that's what DeMille's book is all about. So I kind of got, you know, excited about this book and I was, you know, buying them and giving to people. And then I thought I should sell these to people and it wouldn't cost so much. So I started <laughs> buying them and selling them and talking about these ideas. And uh, my daughter Genevieve was kind of in this whole conversation about, wow, this is exciting leadership education. It's kind of before the whole idea of classical education had become dominant mm-hmm. in so many people's way of thinking. It was kind of like a, uh, a foreshadowing, I guess, mm. if you will, of classical education or, or just a, a different filter, you know, looking at it through different filter. But anyway, she said, well, I don't, I don't like this idea of raising statesmen, you know, because that's kind of his ideas. You, you know, the, the end goal is leadership, statesmen. Right. Well, what if you just just want to be a homeschool mom? Now, I said to her, Genevieve, you never put the words just, just. <laughs> and homeschool mom in one sentence together. Right. They, that, that, that's not a, in the lexicon. But I see your point. That there, you know, She was saying there's kind of this elitism feeling that she gets, and she kind of didn't like it. And I said, well, but that's not what it's about. It's about having a citizenry that is all so educated that anyone could step into leadership position, although not everyone would. In fact, this will blow some people's minds. I was teaching Aristotle's rhetoric a few years ago. Okay. Right? So rhetoric light by reading. Aristotle. Yep. Yeah, light reading. <laughs> and in that book, in part of it, he defines the different forms of government. Mm. And he talks about the the pluses and minuses, you know, the the benefits and the detriments of each type of government. And so, you know, the, the highest and best form, if you could possibly have it, would be benevolent monarchy or Plato's philosopher king. But since you can't really ever have that because power corrupts and mm-hmm. absolute power corrupts absolutely, you can only have that as an ideal but not as a reality. And then you could have an oligarchy which is ruled by a few, but it it distributes the power so that there's some set of checks and balances. And that idea of checks and balances is really what flowed into what we ended up with as a republic. Mm -hmm. The third form of government that he talked about was a democracy, right? And then the fourth would be a a despot, right? So a, a dictator with power only not a good one. I see. So that's to be avoided. Mm-hmm. So you can't ever have the best and you definitely don't want the worst. So you're stuck somewhere in the middle between oligarchy and democracy. Mm-hmm. But here's the funny thing, the way he defined democracy. It wasn't we all vote mm-hmm. 
and the majority rules. Right. That was not democracy in, in Aristotle's definition, whereas that is what a lot of people today think. And of course, our founding fathers were a little cautious about that whole idea of democracy because what you then can have is the, the tyranny of the majority. Uh, Franklin, I believe, was the one who pointed out pure democracy is when two wolves and a sheep vote <laughs> right. on what to have for lunch. Right. You know. so, so here's the fascinating idea. In Aristotle's idea, the city-state, in a democratic city-state, the leaders would be chosen by lot. Oh, interesting. They would be chosen at random because all citizens would be educated sufficiently to the task hmm. of being a leader for a limited period of time in the city-state. So democracy wasn't voting. A democracy was a lottery. It was rule by the people but representative rule mm -hmm. by the people and with limiting the power because it would be a kind of continuously changing hmm. thing. Right. Interesting. So what would happen if all citizens were educated well enough to take up positions of leadership? Right. And that, I believe, is the type of education that Jefferson himself was talking about too, is that we should have a highly educated citizenry mm -hmm. in in the new United States of America. Well, and he founded a college. Several of our founding fathers founded colleges, did they not? Yes. Well, and Jefferson wrote quite a bit about education. And one thing that we, uh, we can see is kind of a philosophical difference between Jefferson's ideal, which is of a, an agrarian-based economy with mainly owners, well-educated owners, independent people, mm. and Hamilton's view, which was we need to industrialize, we need to have centralized power, we need to become an international uh, you know, force. Mm -hmm. And we do that by having a more classed society. Jefferson, I think, didn't necessarily win the argument with Hamilton. You know, it's something, of course, they were both good and great men who had the best interests of the country in mind. I wouldn't, you know, criticize Hamilton too harshly. You can't praise Jefferson too absolutely. They're just, as Adam Andrews, who wrote our Teaching the Classics, do you know he has a uh, all but dissertation doctoral in history? Yes. Yes. And he said to me once, you know, when you study history, you realize there's very few saints and very few devils. There's mostly just guys, you know, <laughs> trying to make their best yeah. decisions. So any case, I'm talking to Genevieve about this idea of citizen education, not for statesmen, but for freedom, for the preservation of freedom. Mm -hmm. So what we want is leadership for freedom's sake. So freedom ship. There we go. Or ship freedom. But the freedom ship sounds better. And then we also think of ship in terms of skill. So you have musicianship, right? Right. So your your skill as a musician improves as your musicianship grows. That that application of the word. So how about our skill in being free people? Could that grow? Could we cultivate the skill of being free? Mm. And that is where I've gone kind of with 
you know, DeMille's ideas and continued to try to refine them in my mind and communicate them as best I can and then see the intersections with what so many people are already doing in education. You know, we see particularly an emphasis on classics and Socratic approach and mentoring mm-hmm. and liberal arts in the whole classical education movement, both in the homeschool and in the private schools and even in in the public schools mm-hmm. now. There's a very large organization, Great Heart Academies, that has, I don't know, many dozens, it may be over 100 now, of charter schools following a classical curriculum that really is designed with the same end in mind, the mm-hmm. education of a free people. That's how I changed the word. I didn't really. Genevieve came up with it because, you know, she's smarter than me. <laughs> uh, but we wanted a word that would that would maybe someday get into the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> it's not there yet. And, you know, where do, where do we fit in? How does IEW fit into this? Why is this something that we we have as part of our conversation. Aren't we just about primary reading, writing, English composition? But what's our tagline? Listen, speak, read, write, think. think. So what uh, has been a great joy over the last couple decades is to see how the things that we teach do teach technical skills, Mm -hmm. specific technical skills, but those technical skills then build a foundation upon which better thinking Mm -hmm. is possible. And we've heard so many kids and adults and people say, wow, you know, it was great to learn how to do topic clincher paragraphs and essay models and sentence openers. But the real difference is, wow, these kids can think Mm -hmm. better. I can think better. And so that's where we are. We, We try to mentor the mentors Help, help them ask the right questions so they can ask the questions to teach their children, their students, to ask the questions. Yep. I came across a quote by Orwell. You know, George Orwell wrote Animal Farm 1984. Obviously had strong opinions. But uh, he said an interesting thing. He said, if you can't write, you can't think. Mm. And if you can't think, others will do your thinking for you. Right. And so to some degree... That's really part of our mission, is the preservation of thinking and therefore freedom in our country and around the world. So during this time of year, July in particular, acknowledging our country's freedom. July 4th. Yes. We honor these ideas of freedomship by offering freedom shipping so that our families, our teachers can enjoy using our materials that we hope will ultimately produce leaders and freedom ship thinkers. Yes. And if I could make one more suggestion. Absolutely. As you know, I am somewhat amazed by Frederick Douglass. Yes. Right. He he wrote his autobiography, which is, is clearly a, a book that every American should read. No, no doubt about it. Mm. But he also wrote and delivered a speech. Uh, I believe it is called What to the Slave is the Fourth of July. And it, it was a speech that caused me, when I read it, to realize the profound power of this man's rhetoric in the best sense. 
you know, so often you get the you get the word rhetoric, mm -hmm. and it has a negative connotation. Be like, well, the president's rhetoric, like you know, the rhetoric is it's just someone trying to convince me of something not mm -hmm. true. But in the in the classical sense, in the in the great sense, rhetoric is the art of persuasion, and the greatest rhetoric would be that that communicates the truth winsomely, persuasively, that moves people from from dark to light, from error to truth and goodness. So I just I had a personal experience reading that speech that caused me just to be in awe of this great speaker, Frederick Douglass. And I would encourage everyone to maybe commemorate the Fourth of July by reading his speech and learn more about his life too, because to me, it's just fascinating. He was a completely illiterate slave till he was 12. It was illegal to teach slaves in that part of the country to, to read. He lived in this harsh and brutal circumstance, separated from parents, worked all his waking hours, basically. You would probably agree that he grew up in the worst possible educational or language development environment you could contrive, next to being locked in a closet, right? Right. And yet he became one of, if not the greatest speaker, orator, that these United States have ever produced. And when you read the speech, you'll see what I mean. And how did that happen? That is what is so amazing to me. Mm -hmm. in, one, in a different biography of him, someone said, how is it, Mr. Douglas, you became such a powerful speaker? And he said, well, as a free man, one of the first books I, I owned was The Columbian Orator. This was a book of famous speeches published in 1794 or something, I believe. And it was the, the famous speeches of all time, from you know Cicero to Augustine to, to Patrick Henry, including some literary selections, Shakespeare and whatnot. And he said, I memorized. Mm -hmm. I memorized these speeches. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, furnished his mind with not just the words, not just the turn of phrase, not just the complexity of the grammar and the syntax, not just the beautiful rhetorical devices that were contained in these great speeches, but some of the seminal ideas mm -hmm. of truth and freedom and goodness and right. And so I think he's an inspiration to all of us to furnish our minds and go out and memorize the good, true, beautiful poetry, speeches, scripture, whatever you're inclined for, and to especially help our young people do that. Right. And because you mentioned this and because we're giving away free shipping, I think what I'd like to do is include a link, not just to the speech, but also your recording of that speech that you included in our Linguistic Development Through Poetry. Yeah, but not the whole speech. I just did a small... A, a small chunk of it. An excerpt of that speech. Yes. <laughs> Great, yes. <laughs> so in that, and that, those ideas of Frederick Douglass is one of the reasons we added that fifth level of our poetry memorization program to include speeches. Yes. I'm very happy we did that. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation, and I hope our listeners will enjoy both the Freedom Ship promotion, mm -hmm. enjoy the free little giveaway that we'll have on our podcast link, but most importantly, enjoy the freedom ship ideas that you bring. 
and the celebration of our independence、Absolutely. as a nation. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at iew.com/podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. Thank you.